Thank you for listening to the Renovate Life Church of God's broadcast. Here's today's message from our pastor, James Demmel. The first week of this series, we talked about the fact that we are in a spiritual conflict. Lesson two, or last week, we talked about how the battle started and just exactly where it started. This week, I want to talk to you about the element of war. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Some versions of your Bible says from the pulling down of fortresses. Verse 5, casting down imaginations. Again, some versions of the Bible says speculations. That's important. It's the same word. Every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Let's pray. God, I pray today, Father, that your spirit continues to be in this place. Lord, I pray for the longtime believer, Father, that has become numb. Lord, I pray that you enlighten them and illuminate them today, Father. Lord, I pray that you take the numbness away from them, God. That you begin to touch them and change them, transform their life. Lord, I pray if there be someone in the house that does not know you. Or maybe there's someone in the house that knows you but doesn't know you like they should. Lord, I pray that you begin to speak to their heart today. Lord, that you move on them and direct them. Lord, I pray, Father, that their hearts be open to you, God. Lord, I pray that their ears are open, but their ears can hear a lot of things. I pray that their heart is in line with you, Father, and we'll never fail to give you the glory, the praise, and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Many of us gather together on a Sunday morning for a theme park adventure. Instead of learning how to go to war. Men who have been tasked with preaching the gospel. A lot of times want an uplifting message. Because they want you to come back. Now I'm glad you're here today. And we got a great crowd. And I want you to come back. But more importantly. I'm worried about your soul. And so. War is hard. War is bloody. Some of you have been in the battle. War leaves many Christian casualties along the way. So many times we visit the church because it has great entertainment. It has great music. It has great activities. And so we want to come to that church because they've got a lot going on. But I'm here to declare to you today that it's not about the activities, although you should have them. And it's not about the programs that, and you have to have them. But I want you to understand that I, most important to me and most important to God is that you know him. Do you know him this morning? And so I want you to understand as we go through this, you're going to learn a lot of things today. And how do I know that? Because I've been a pastor for 15 years and, and I, I learned a lot of things while studying this. And so we're in a war. Pastor, how do you know that we're in a war? Because there are so many Christian casualties around. They're, they're, we're fighting not a fight, but we're fighting a battle. And how do I know that it's a battle? Because it dredges on and on and on and we have all these issues and problems and circumstances and we wonder why is there anybody in this place that ever wonders why that they stay in the same old issue that's a good place for amen let it be so and so people are caught in a heavenly conflict 
and in a spiritual crossfire. And if you were here for the last message, you understood that we have nothing to do with that. It's just the way it is. We're in a battle. We're in a war. We're in a place spiritually and physically that we need something to change our lives. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And the problem is, is that we, we are having issues with our mind. We're going to get into that in a minute. I don't want to jump ahead. Satan has a trick up his sleeve. So I, I need to explain this to you. The Bible says that Satan was cast from heaven. He came to, we found out last week, he came to rule this place called earth. God didn't like the fact that he ruled anything, so he came down and he made man. And the Bible says he made man in his own image. And he created man to have dominion over the place that Satan ruled. It was called earth. Because that God gave man dominion, it took away everything that Satan could have had. But Satan, this sneaky snake, had a trick up his sleeve. And so, Adam and Eve sinned. And the Bible says that the dominion reverted back to Satan. And that's why we see in John chapter 5 verse 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Another version of the same verse says we know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Do you understand that Satan is the prince and the power of the air that you breathe? And so Satan has a secular agenda. He wants the world to come under his control. There's a specific way that he does it, and it's four ways, actually. It's four areas that he does it. But I want you to understand that they're very obvious to us. We've just never taken the time to think about it. The first way or area that he begins to touch, and can I tell you, in all four areas, he's working simultaneously. The first area that he begins to touch our life is our personal or individual lives. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is as a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9 gives us a little hope. It says, For whom resist is steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You know why that you come to church? Because you have issues and you have problems. And you need brothers and sisters to help you. Come on with me today. You need people when you get down and when you get fed up and you, when you feel like you can't make it to say, yes, Lord, and, and come in to your talk. Right? There's a lot of times we need someone to talk to. Sometimes, listen to me, your mama can't help you. Sometimes your lawyer can't help you. Sometimes you go to the doctor and the doctor can't help you. But I can tell you this, that every time you call on his name, his name is Jesus, he can help you. I'm not using that as a cliche, I know it to be truth. Do you know it to be truth today? All right, let me get back to my notes. He's after you. Can I say it this way? I'm not, I don't have the words that Peter had. But I can tell you this. He wants your life and he'll do whatever he has to do to get your life. And we sit on the church pew every Sunday and we're okay with him taking our life. 
Pastor, you're being mean. Oh, it's going to get worse. When you look closely at today's Christian, we find that they're stuck in the refugee camps of hell. I'm going to go through just a couple of many statistics with you today. You all know how I like statistics. Personally, he has overthrown us in the area of pornography. I think they have some slides. 90% of teens and 96% of young adults are either encouraged, accepting, or neutral when they talk about porn with their friends. 55% of adults 25 older 25 years or older believe porn is not wrong. Teens and young adults 13 to 24 believe that not recycling, Lord help me, is worse than viewing pornography. Only 43% of teens believe that pornography is bad for society compared to 31% of adults 18 to 24, 51% of millennials, 44 percent of Generation X, and 59% of the baby boomers believe that porn is wrong. One in five youth pastors and one in seven senior pastors use pornography on a regular basis, and currently they're struggling. That's more than 50,000 U.S. pastors a year. 43% of senior pastors and youth pastors say that they have struggled with pornography in the past. Watch this. This one blows my mind. 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say that watching porn, that they watch porn at least once a month. Only 7% of pastors report their church has ministry program for those struggling with porn addiction. A 2018 study reveals nearly 27% of teens receive sext. Do you know what that is? You guys are like, what? They just spelled that S. That's wrong. It's supposed to be a T. Sexting is when they send nude pictures to each other back and forth. And they say, I love you, and a lot of things that I can't say on here. You know things that you should tell your wife that a lot of men don't? Just throwing that out there. This ain't marriage seminar. 51% of male students and 32% of female students first viewed porn before their teenage years. Okay, 13 considered to be a teen. That means 10, 11, 12, maybe 9. The first exposure to pornography among men is 12 years old on average. 71% of teens hide this from their parents. Man. A 2016 Canadian study shows adolescents that 45.3% admitted, admitted to the problem of erectile dysfunction. 68% of divorce cases involve one party meeting a new lover over the internet. 58% involved one party having an obsessive internet pornography or pornographic websites. 56%. 70 70% of wives of sexual addicts could be diagnosed with PTSD. Now watch this. Prolonged exposure to pornography leads to diminished trust between intimate couples. Belief that promiscuity is a natural state. I can do whatever I want. Belief, uh, lack of attraction to family and children, child raising. A 2014 study finds that the compulsive pornography users had great impairment of sexual arousal, erectile 
difficulties, intimate relationships, but not with sexual explicit materials. He's overwhelmed you, and you're in a war. You don't believe me? The National Institute of Drug Abuse says this. We're talking about individuals. Substance abuse in men and women. They put that one up. Develop disorders more quickly. Women do if they're taking some kind of, of narcotic or even marijuana. You know that's legal in a lot of places today. But hey, it, it'll be okay. Four million women report misuse in the last year. Four million. Five million men report misuse in the last year. That is nine million people. You're telling me that this is not an epidemic that we're living in? You're telling me that you're not in a war? You're telling me that you're not in a conflict? You're telling me that Satan is not coming against your mind? He's not coming against your heart? He's not coming against everything that you believe in on a daily basis? And I'm going to tell you that is hogwash because the numbers do not lie. Go to the next one. Sleeping aids. Well, Pastor, I take a sleeping aid. Well, that's good because 55% of the past year treatment admission for barbiturates, misuse of women, 55%. That means you're supposed to take one and you know, I just got to have two. I sleep so much better. 45% of men in the past year admit to misuse of barbiturates. Come on with me now. Everybody's mad. Next slide. I'm going to have to read that one. He's distracted us in the world of anxiety and depression. This is just a few. Do you believe we're in a war yet? Okay. 9% percentage of the men in the United States who... On a daily basis, feel depressed, anxious, worried, messed up. I can add all kinds of words to that. One in three men have these issues, but they one in three, or that, that's the only one out of every three. 33% go to the doctor about it. One in four is the persons who... Talk to a mental health professional. 30.6% suffered from a period of depression, anxiety. I can't get out of bed. If you watch the commercial, there's an umbrella and it's raining. Buddy, that's when I like to sleep. Four times the suicide rate in American men that are white and 85 years old. Go to the next slide. I think that I'm not going to read this whole slide, but I think this will prove my point. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States of America, affecting 40 million adults in the United States age 18 and older, or 18.1% of the population every year. 
Do you believe that you're in an individual struggle? Do you believe that you're in a personal war? Do you believe that you're having issues of the mind and you're wondering why there's people that are sitting in this church right now and they wonder, why am I in trouble? Why am I struggling? Why do I feel depressed? Why do do I have all of these issues? I'm telling you that you are in a war. You are in a conflict. It's a spiritual battle. And here's what you have to understand is we cannot do spiritual things and and pay for spiritual things in the physical. If you're trying to get physical remedies, if you're trying to go to the psychologist and the self-help guru and all these other people, you're going to be in trouble every time you're wasting your money because physical resources cannot help you when you're dealing with spiritual problems. Number two. The second area Satan is coming against us is in our families. We see this all the way back to the book of Genesis. When Satan tempted Eve and then Eve tempted Adam. And because of their sin, they came under the control and authority of hell. The Bible tells us that in Genesis chapter 6... That the sons of God had relationships with the daughters of men. Why do you think the family is such an important attack point for Satan? Because the battle, now hear me well, would be fought by the seed. Whatever we choose to accept as Christian people. You can call yourself conservative, you can call yourself Republican, you can call yourself Democrat, you can call yourself independent. I don't care what you call yourself. I call myself saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, going to heaven. But I don't care what you call yourself. What I'm telling you is it doesn't matter what your position is. What matters is, is that we need to understand that Satan is after our family and he's not only after you, he's after your kids. Here's the thing, if Satan can get into your family and he can mess up your home, if he can cause the mom or the dad to do something crazy, maybe they're abusive, maybe they tell the kids, well, you're stupid and, and, and they got emotional issues and all this trouble, you'll never do anything, you'll never be anything, you, know, you don't have any talents, you don't have an ability, we think we just got bad parents. I'm telling you, we're in a war. And if we find that and we see that, we're going to grow up in a refugee camp of hell. Because what we're going to think is, I don't have any talent. I don't have any ability. But if Satan can do that to your home, then he gets into your child's home. He's taking care of two families in one, and it's going to continue down the line of the seed. And we're okay with it. Ask me how I know. The numbers don't lie. Lord, help me today. It's tight, but it's right. Satan wants to destroy you. Because if he can destroy you, I'm talking to moms and dads in the room. If he can destroy you, he can get to your family. Well, pastor, my son don't like to get out of bed in the morning. He's three. If you signed him up for football, baseball, hockey, soccer, underwater, basket weaving, he'd be there. I don't care if it's 6 a.m., 4.30 in the morning, he'd be there. Ooh, that's some good stuff. 
We live in a messed up home life. And if Satan not only has your home, he has your family. The problem is this. And it's real, to be honest with you, it's really a tragedy. Influ- influential leaders and pastors alike are not standing up to talk about it. Because they think we're fighting flesh and blood. The Bible says that you're fighting principalities, powers, things of the deep. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 6.12 says this. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's why you got to fight for the family, fathers. That's why you got to fight for the family, mothers. That's why, fathers, you don't have the luxury of saying, I'm tired. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I can't take it anymore. I want to leave. 4.6, I don't have a statistic for this, but I'll never forget it. 4.6% of, of, of white American fathers, that's not Hispanics, that's not blacks, that's not all, leave the family within five years of having a child. 4.6. It equals like 2.6 million people. Blows, blows me away. That's just the white population. You don't have the luxury, dad, of leaving your family. You don't have the luxury of saying, I'm tired. You don't have the luxury of saying, I can't deal with her. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that a, a woman that talks all the time is like a leaky roof. You don't have the luxury of the leaky roof. You don't have the luxury of leaving the leaky roof. So get up on it and fix it. Come on. Mothers in the workforce. Statistics day, and I'll show you one in a minute, that mothers are so in the workforce in today's society that they don't have time for child rearing. I'm the breadwinner of the family. That's what I hear. Oh, I don't want to say what I'm going to say. Where's your husband? The gamer. Ain't got time for a job. Right? Well, you know, after playing video games all night, I'm tired, honey. She working 65 hours a week. She don't know if the kids' diapers are getting changed. She don't know if they're getting the mac and cheese. In the afternoon? Yep. But she knows this, that she's got to provide. And all the men are mad. Well, I'm going to tell you something. If you're a man that works, you shouldn't be mad. We're in a battle. You guys want to see some more statistics? I'm just going to read the header to you. If you want them, Rossi's right there in the back. She can print everything off to you. Children growing up in diversified families or in their new living arrangements. 1960, 73% of Americans lived in a father and a home with a father and a mother. In 1980, it already dropped to 61%. 
By 2014, it was down to 46%. The two-parent household is on decline. You can see that in the next slide. One in six children live in a blended home. I'm just reading the top because I need to move on. Black children and those with less educated parents are less likely to be living in two-parent households. If you scroll down through this, less than high school education, 46% of people do not live in a home with two parents. You think we're in a war? Let me me ask you something. Do you think that you're in a conflict? Do you think that you're in a fight for your family? You don't think that Satan is coming against your family? You don't think that Satan is coming for you individually? Well, I'm here to beg to differ. God said to go forth and multiply. Among women, fertility is on the decline. One-child families is 11 to 22% dependent on which research you're following. Two-children families, 24 to 41%. Four-plus is on the decline. It's not on the uprise. I want you to understand that's decline. 40% of people have four children or more. Among Hispanics and the less educated, there are bigger families. Keep moving. The decoupling of the marriage and childbearing. You can see the numbers. Look at 1960, if you would, with me. Keep going. It said the decoupling of marriage. There it is. Nope. Next one. Next one. The decoupling of marriage is the title. I'll just read it to you. 1960, there was 2% of families. In today's society, 29% are unmarried women. You don't think we're in a war. You don't think Satan's after your family. That, listen to me, church. That should give you anxiety and depression right there. The next thing that Satan wants to attack... Satan attacks the church. He attacks the church through disunity, division, discrimination, racism, classism, and culturalism. He wants to divide the family of God because there's one thing that Satan knows. Hear me well. If Satan can keep you from being unified, and most church people don't realize this, that's why they fight all the time. If Satan can keep you from being unified, first of all, with yourself, then your family, then your church family, where does God's power come from? The Bible says that God's power comes from the harmony of unity. He's going to get you. That's why we come together, unified. Listen, uh, the, the one great thing about this church, I believe, is, is that most people here are unified. That's why in four years we've been able to defy the statistics in every category, this little church. In four years we've been able to defy the, the statistics of how many people should be sitting in the church. It should be half of you. We should just wipe this whole group out. 
In, in four years, we, should, we de defied the statistics on how many people that we've been able to help in the church community. By hundreds. But here's the thing. I think what makes our church so strong, and we joke about it all the time, but we've got a lot of Baptists in our church, and we've got a lot of Methodists in our church, and we've got a lot of different denominations in our church, but you know what I love about our church? We have all decided to come together and put our differences aside for the greater good. That's the unity that makes a church strong. If you want unity in the house of God, then you begin to say God is more important. He is my Savior. He is my blessing, and I want Him to to move on my life so I want to be unified with the family of God. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If this message has uplifted you, we would love to hear your story. Go to www.renovatelifecog.com and click contact. Your testimonies are a blessing to us throughout the week. Renovate Life is a place of healing for the lost, the broken, the weak, weary, and stray.